Staff at newspapers on Prince Edward Island are forming a union. Canadian arms firm has supplied more weapons to Israel than has been previously publicly said. The number of immigrants who are leaving Canada is rising. Northern College has rescinded acceptance letters for 200 students. Updates from the war in Ukraine and Israel bombs the Jabalia refugee camp twice. Good morning. It's Wednesday, November 1st. Oh my God, already. I'm Nora. Here are your headlines. First news from Prince Edward Island this morning. Staff at The Guardian and The Journal Pioneer are forming a union. According to their statement, they hope the union will enable retention and training opportunities, fair wages, cost of living increases, adequate staffing levels, and respectful work environments. And, which is something that journalists always need, clear job descriptions. They say that clear job descriptions will, quote, ensure fair workloads and maintain the historic identities of the two newspapers. The newspapers, by the way, have operated in the province for a combined 291 years. The newspapers are owned by Saltwire, a company that owns newspapers across Atlantic Canada. The journalists point out that subscriptions remain strong on the island, especially in comparison to other parts of Canada. 22 workers signed the statement, and they signed it underneath the logo of the Island News Guild Local 3130. Solidarity and courage to you all. The first collective agreement is the hardest one to bargain, but future island journalists will thank you for your work. Next, to an investigation from Tim Groves and Emma Paling at The Breach about how many deadly weapons a Canadian company has sold to Israel. The company sold the items mainly through an Israeli subsidiary. Incas, on a website that's since been deleted, said that they've sold armored vehicles, cyber warfare services, and remotely controlled weapons stations. The breach uncovered this information from an Israeli Ministry of Defense document from 2018. The breach explains, quote, remotely controlled weapon stations are attached to tanks and light armored vehicles to allow soldiers to shoot weapons like machine guns, grenades and cannons from the safety of their vehicles at a faster rate than they could shoot manually. The IDF and the Israeli police have both been company clients. Incas has, of course, received public money because what company in Canada hasn't? About $250,000 was given to Incas in public funds, and they've been brought along on a trade mission to Israel. Ontario former Premier Kathleen Wynne helped Incas sign a $25 million contract to build vehicles for the U.S. State Department. On Monday morning, about 100 people blocked access to INCAS at their North Toronto facility to protest their involvement in the violence in Palestine through the IDF and their weaponry right now. The company's Israel operations sell unmanned ground vehicles, assault systems and equipment, wireless communication jammers, tear gas, riot and crowd control materials, weapons modifications and network surveillance. In a newer version of the 2018 document, they say they also provide drones and eavesdropping devices. The company was founded when Incas bought Mayotex Filcar, an Israeli company, and formed Incas Israel. They have previously sold armored vehicles to Colombian police and personnel carriers to Azerbaijan. 
Next, to an article with a very funny headline from Megan Dallaire at CTV News. And yes, Dallaire did not write this headline, so it's not her fault. Here's the story. Quote, high numbers of immigrants choosing to leave Canada for greener pastures. Study. Now, I'll let you guess whether or not they specifically ask people if they're leaving to seek out greener pastures or if this is just something CTV came up with to hide the fact that it's a pretty big red flag that Canada is sucking harder these days. There was a surge, reports Dallaire, of how many immigrants left Canada in 2017 and 2019. The surge was 31% higher than the historical average. When these years are excluded, there is still a steady increase of people who immigrate to Canada and then who leave. In the 1980s, the average rate of onward migration was 18%. That is, people who come to Canada and then leave to go somewhere else. This rose to 21% in the early 1990s. The article doesn't say what percentage it is now, so I went directly to the study. The only data it has from longitudinal research ends in 1994, though it also shows a medium-term study that shows that the rate is down from 21% in 1994 to nearly 16% in 2004. There is other data that probably should have been highlighted in the report that doesn't make it into the CTV article. Like this, 30% of 18 to 34-year-olds who immigrated to Canada have said that they are likely to leave Canada in the next two years. That is current data. And from 2001 to 2021, the number of people who got Canadian citizenship after 10 years dropped by 40%. In that time period, there are lots of changes made to becoming a Canadian citizen, and it has become harder and more expensive for many people to be able to do so. The reasons for all this in the article are given a pretty surface treatment. Racism, a sense of belonging, home ownership and economic opportunities in other countries are all listed as reasons for why people might leave Canada. And qualifications that they may have had from other countries don't make it easy necessarily to continue their careers in Canada. But then the article pivots to the news that Ottawa is going to change how Canada accepts immigrants and mentions a poll that shows that sentiment in Canada is growing that immigration is too high. It's an interesting pivot because here we have a problem internal to Canada of people living in Canada and not wanting to stay. But then the article starts talking about how Canada is limiting the number of immigrants that it's accepting. It sidesteps what the real problem is by telling people something that is only related insofar as it's related to immigration, but not actually what the story is about. And none of these explanations are satisfactory. The decline of social supports for everyone in Canada have impacted immigrants more acutely, and this cannot be solved by investing in more immigrant services, as the article suggests. It's a systemic problem. Living in Canada has increasingly sucked over the last 30 years, and it's not surprising that people who have experience in other countries would move on after realizing that Canada is not all that we say we are. It's very funny to me that no one wants to state this plainly, despite the fact that we all know this to be true in our daily lives. So no wonder that immigrants are seeking, quote unquote, greener pastures, which, by the way, isn't a phrase that appears in the report at all. It's just a way that CTV News has decided to make this crisis sound cutesy. This is pure editorializing from CTV intended to make us not think too hard or feel too bad that Canada is failing so many people because, hey, they're moving to greener pastures. The report, by the way, is called The Leaky Bucket, which isn't exactly a cutesy way to talk about all of this stuff and easily could have been used instead.
Next, a story that is connected, specific to how poorly we treat immigrants. Northern College in Timmins, Ontario, has rescinded the admission letters for hundreds of students who are supposed to start in January. 200 to be specific. The students are mostly from India who are told after receiving an admission letter that finally they actually can't come to Northern College. The college pulled the same move in July, which you might recall from the Daily News podcast, when it rescinded 500 admissions, though in that case, other colleges were ready to pick up the students who had been dropped. CBC News's Saloni Berga talked with Savan Sabu, who was supposed to study supply chain management at the college's Timmins campus. He took out a loan to pay for the fees and is now stuck repaying $30,000 with an 11% interest rate. Quote, Northern College has shattered my dreams, unquote, he said. How's that for PR for the city of Timmins? The ministry said that the college is allowed to make these decisions. Colleges are independent, they say. But let's be clear, colleges are directly under the control of the province, where universities have different enabling legislation and more independence from government to operate, including separate governance bodies and boards and individuals. Colleges do not have the same structure. Berga doesn't write anything further on the ministry's line here, but it is worth challenging this, as if the ministry isn't ultimately responsible for contract breaches of this kind, especially considering the hardship that they create. Berger also talks with Jaspreet Singh, the president of the International Sikh Student Association, who condemned the decision. He said that the college is, quote unquote, overbooking students, sending out letters to more students that they can accept and profiting from it. At Northern College, a stunning 80% of students are international, which is a genuine crisis that should result in people storming the college doors and going after the administration for treating people like commodities. Now, Northern College responded to Singh's comment saying this, Northern College does not entertain inflammatory statements rooted in conjecture. Its operations and finances are a matter of public record like every other Ontario college. And to be fair to the brainiacs that run Northern College, that kind of challenge does tell a journalist to go and look, which Berga does, and found that the student fees at Northern College for international students went from $12 million in 2021 to, folks, I cannot believe that this number is not a typo, $67 million in 2023. 12 million in 2021 to $67 million in 2023. How did Ontario allow their public community colleges to become exploitation mills of international students? Is anyone paying attention to this beyond the International Sixth Student Association? If you have some mob materials lying around and you're near a Northern College facility, well, maybe it's time to do some basic math for the good of the province, because this is disgusting and it needs to stop. Next to Ukraine, where the UN has found reasonable grounds to conclude that Russia launched the missile that killed 59 people in a cafe in Hroza, and that it was probably an Ixander missile. This confirms what had widely been reported at the time that the cafe was targeted. The UN is also warning that humanitarian aid will be critical for about 40% of Ukrainians as winter hits. They are particularly worried for the 4 million people who live in eastern areas controlled by Russia, as aid from the UN has mostly been unable to reach them. Joe Biden is still trying to get his request for $106 billion in funding support for Ukraine passed. At the Senate Appropriations Committee, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said that if this money isn't approved, Russia will win. 
And finally, yesterday, Israel launched a devastating attack on the Jabalia refugee camp. Actually, I wrote this last night, and since I wrote this, they've attacked the refugee camp again. Humanitarian groups have said that this attack should serve as a wake-up call to the world to do whatever it takes to secure a ceasefire. The death toll ranges from 50 to 400, and one Al Jazeera staff member lost 19 relatives in the attack. It was so brutal that it made even CNN's Wolf Blitzer challenge the IDF spokesperson in their arguments that they had to attack the refugee camp to kill a single individual who they say is a member of Hamas. Apparently, the first attack didn't do it, maybe explaining the second. That's notable, as Wolf Blitzer has worked for APAC, the most significant Israeli lobby organization in the United States. Chile, Bolivia, and Colombia are pulling their ambassadors from Israel in protest of Israel's action in Gaza. And Al Jazeera is reporting that there is a complete internet service outage happening as of last night in all of Gaza. Those are your headlines for Wednesday, November 1st. I'm Nora. You're listening to this podcast at sandynora.com on the Real News Network podcast feed and wherever you get your podcasts. I hope you have a wonderful Wednesday. It's pay your rent day and, uh, you know, welcome to November already.